to another exciting episode of the Faith Awakens podcast, episode 29, 29 and feeling fine. Oh my gosh. That's my little rhyme for today. <laughs> um, so today I'm joined as always, my name is Father Tom Hennon, first of all, uh, chaplain here at St. Ambrose and joined always by my co-host. Megan Grady, student, and you can't see us right now, obviously, because this is a podcast, but we are in a very professional part of KLA. Yeah. Um, recording. I feel like I should record my hit single um, in this room. It's I very think you professional. should. Um, so coming soon, yeah, my hit <laughs> single, uh, to TBD. Maybe next episode. Right. You'll have it ready by then, right? Exactly. No, um, but it's very just, there's yeah. sound barriers. There's a gi- I have a giant mic. I feel like I'm in a real radio station. Yeah. Um, not that we weren't in a real radio station before, but we were in a different room right. that felt more classroomy. Uh, and this feels like there's a there's a whole thing of buttons here yeah, that I've been instructed not, not to touch, you should not, and yeah, I don't will touch not touch uh, because I don't want anything to happen horrible. So, <laughs> yeah, but it's cool. It's nice. It's, I like it. Yeah. Um, so it is uh, just not just it's just Meg and I today <laughs> on the show. We don't have a guest, and that's good for us to do every now and then catch up a little bit, maybe mm-hmm. um, unpack a little bit from previous guests, uh, but. Uh, so uh, a couple things I wanted to follow up on from last week. We had Dr. Dan LaCourt on, uh, who was talking about the importance of the liberal arts and all that kind of stuff. And I had mentioned in that podcast a book that I had read way back in seminary and probably haven't touched since. And I lost my copy of it, so I ordered a new copy of it. Uh, but it's called Leisure, the Basis of Culture by Joseph Pieper. And it's considered one of the most important philosophical texts of the 20th century. So, um, But I just thought it's so, so poignant for today. Um, I'll just read a little bit of the description off of the back. So basically saying that, um, yeah, the leisure, uh, leisure, the basis of culture. In this book, uh, Pieper destroys common misconceptions about the idea of leisure and its relation to work. Leisure is not idleness, but an attitude of mind and a condition of the soul that fosters receptivity to both physical and spiritual realities. The author points out that the sound philosophy and authentic religion uh, can be only born in this time of leisure, a leisure that allows time for contemplation of things, including the nature of God, etc. So basically, he's criticizing that like total work culture that we're kind of, Mm. um, and I think the pandemic has kind of made us question that a little bit because we've had to pull away in so many ways and we've, we've been in a way, forced to be reflective. But um, anyhow, I, I'm really looking forward to reading it again uh, because it has been, like I say, mm, a long time since I've read it. But And I'm, the more I read about the description of it and kind of thumb through it, I'm realizing, wow, this is still really relevant. Super, Maybe more relevant now than it was even two years ago. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, or 50 years ago, certainly when I wrote it. So just to follow up on that. The other thing I wanted to follow up on, I just got this email from my oldest sister, Mary Jo, today that I thought was so touching, thinking of teachers Aww. and future teachers like <laughs> yeah, Meg here. That's me. <laughs> and so, and your mother taught fourth grade for many years? For right? 35 years, yeah. For 35 and she's years. And she's a bee. She's a fighting bee. And alumni. she is a proud alum of St. Ambrose. Yes. So 
So my sister married Joe, who's my oldest sister. There's a ton of us in the family. I'm number 11. She's number one. So we're the bookends. And actually very close in personality, I think, in a lot of ways. But she was a teacher uh, and the year before last finally retired. And she taught fourth grade most of her most Oh, of wow. Her, uh, yeah, my mom career. retired so last year, too. She taught fifth grade, I think, for a little while. But anyhow, I had sent her an email yesterday because one of the uh, Sisters of Humility um, that uh, is here in Davenport had passed away. And I wanted to let my sister know because she had mentioned her in particular because she had her as a teacher, as a fourth grade teacher, as oh, a matter wow. of fact. And so Sister Karen passed away. Um, and so shout out to her and to her community. Um, but uh, she was my sister's fourth grade teacher. And so my sister, on learning this from my email yesterday, sent me this lovely email that almost made me cry this afternoon. Here's what it says. Sister Karen was my fourth grade teacher. Besides teaching me long division and a myriad of other fourth grade things, she taught us knitting during the inside lunch hour in winter. Many people played the normal classroom games, but she told any of us that were interested in knitting she would teach us. She told us what size needles and yarn to buy and help, helped us learn the basics. I can't imagine what patience it took. Once I, forgot, once I forgot my lunch before the days of school lunch and was tearfully telling her uh, we couldn't call mom because dad had the car and mom was at home with the babies. I thought I would probably be just fine, but she insisted on taking me up to the convent where I had tomato soup and a peanut butter sandwich and a glass of milk with the rest of the sisters before going out to recess in the alley behind the convent. I didn't miss my cheese sandwich, Cheetos, and apple at all. So just that touching story, <laughs> like so here's beautiful. a teacher that, you know, like, well, you can come up and eat with the sisters. So she had a tomato, tomato bowl of tomato soup and a, and a sandwich and, and uh, a glass of milk before going out to recess. Wow. But, yeah. And I have no doubt probably inspired her in her own desire to eventually yeah. become a teacher. So it's, yeah. f it's funny at that age how like receptive kids are um, to that, like little acts of kindness like that and that, how that sticks with them because she probably just did it. She was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm helping this kid out, you know. She probably did it every other week for some right. kid that forgot their lunch. But, like, know, but didn't really think about how that impacted her. So that's yeah. so sweet. Yeah, it was Also, really who wouldn't want to have lunch with a couple sisters? It, like, they're I'm the sure coolest. it was very cool. So, yeah, so my, my oldest siblings went to a Catholic school that was in my hometown. Um, but only for a few years. To, eventually, pretty much the rest of us went to public school. So it was like only the older siblings actually had that early Catholic school experience. Mm. Um, and then my, my hometown of Tumbo still does have a small Catholic school, but I went to public school all the way through until I came to St. Ambrose. That was the first Catholic school wow. I went to was the university here. So, but just a touching teacher story that I had to share because uh, I thought that was really cool from, from my sister. And I think of, you know, looking back on, I, li I liked fourth grade. Fourth grade was a good grade. Fifth grade was a good grade. Sixth grade was a good grade. I liked sixth grade. I liked, that was and my favorite. even as a priest, when I would go to visit the Catholic schools, those classrooms were always the most fun to visit they're because so fun. they are at the age where they're able to ask some really deep questions mm -hmm. and they're not afraid to ask them yet. Yeah. Like the hormone thing hasn't quite kicked in. And so they're not <laughs> like, oh, what is so-and-so going to think of me if I raise my hand and ask? They're like, you know, bombarding you with questions. But right. they're good questions. Like you get bombarded with questions in like kindergarten and first and second grade. But it's like, you know, like all sorts of <laughs> zany stuff yeah. off the wall. So like 10 minutes in the kindergarten classroom for me when I would do classroom visits as a priest was plenty yeah. um, in terms of their attention span. But I could spend I could easily spend an hour in each of the fourth, fifth, and sixth grade classes. Um, and a little bit in middle school, maybe. 
Um, but so I, I loved those grades. I wasn't I personally. I, I don't. I didn't like seventh or eighth grade all that much. I liked high school okay though. Yeah, high school is okay for me too. I think I think later high eighth school grade, in particular. I got to eighth grade and I feel like all the teachers kept telling us that everyone was looking to us for an example, and I just thought that was a lot of pressure for an eighth grader. Like yeah, I'm still I'm still in junior high. You know, like yeah. I think and I think. Uh, I think it's perfectly reasonable to say that a fifth grader could serve as a role model for an eighth grader and vice versa. So I don't know yeah. why th- as soon as I hit the eighth grade mark, I was automatically uh, promoted to role model. But yeah. I feel like that's something, you know, you can exhibit throughout school. So I think my, well, actually I went to a junior high, not a middle school. So it was oh, uh, so did a, I. technically a junior high and it was just seventh and eighth grade. And man, oh, when you've got mean. two grades, only two grades in the school. Like the eighth graders really lord that over the seventh yeah, graders. Like they're so much older, even though they're a matter of months. Uh, older. I know some of them are like the same age. You know? Yeah, it just exactly. But so that kind of typical, sadly, bullying and things like that that happens yeah, at that age. Anyhow, sad. I think it's heightened when there's really only two grades there. Yeah, so I'm kind of glad weird. they're moving more to these middle school models where you have sixth, seventh, and eighth at least together. Yeah, we were. Uh, um, I was a junior high too, but like they called it a junior high, but it was fifth through eighth. Oh, wow. Um, which I feel like fifth grade, um, and I've talked about this with my mom, like just fifth grade maybe shouldn't be there, you know, because they're not, you know, they're not the same. But yeah. it, at the same time, it was nice that um, when I moved to sixth grade, I knew the building well enough. Yeah. Um, but there, I don't know, it just seems a little too young to be with eighth grade, you know, in the same building as eighth graders. But, yeah. you know, it worked out. I'm here. <laughs> And then I thought, like, later high school, I felt felt like that's when you kind of hit your stride a little bit. Oh, and yeah. So junior, junior senior year. year yeah, junior good. years when I feel like that's college, too. Like, junior yeah. year. Um, and we kind of talked about this uh, in an earlier episode. But junior year is when it's like, all right, I know my stuff. I'm doing, you know, and I don't have to leave. You know, yeah, it's not like yeah. my last year. You're not being pushed um, out the door yet. And now I'm like, as a senior, I'm like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do with all this Ambrose? Like. Uh, information, not just my content, but like <laughs> directing people, you know, giving directions and stuff, where the best bathroom is, where the best water fountain is. Write it all down and when, give it to a, f- a first year. When to student. go to the calf. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Seriously. Maybe, maybe write down a list yeah, of maybe we'll do first an year advice. Where I just give advice. So send in your questions to Campus Ministry. But you are hoping to be a middle school teacher. Right? I am. That, that's your, that's mm-hmm. your zone. Yes. So what draws you to that age group? Um, I always like to say that I like never left. I feel like I n- my personality never left middle school. I'm not going to say anything. Um, and you can agree. I, I think it's a compliment. I take it, even though people don't say it as that, I think, some of the time. But um, I just think they're so fun. And people are like, well, they're not always fun. Okay, well, high schoolers aren't always fun. I'm not. I'm 21. I'm not always fun. Um, but... You know, after observing in a lot of high schools and I'm in a middle school right now, um, you know, they just they talk to you more. Yeah. Um, And I'm not paralyzed by uh, by fear when they're all just staring at me because in high school, you know, they're not that much younger than me, uh, which is a little intimidating. You don't you don't let on that you're not that much older than than them. Um, But, yeah, I just think they're quirky. It's that age where you're kind of coming into your own and finding your interests. And I think that's so interesting. And everyone, you know, there's drama. But uh, if you get to the lower grades, um, everyone's still kind of cordial with each other, depending on, obviously, depending on the school. But, um, you know, you can still work together. I don't know. I think it is truly... 
what they would call like it is one of those liminal ages you're between stages yeah. you know you are you, you so it is a critical age i also feel like most teachers i've talked to that teach middle school junior high feel particularly called to that age group you know mm -hmm. there's the um and yeah, I, I always felt like I say late grade school, I think would have been a sweet spot for me or maybe later high school when I did teach a little bit um, in high school, it was seniors and I loved having yeah. seniors. That was a lot of fun. And but. I'm I'm definitely the minor minority when I when people ask me what my favorite like grade was um, in school, I say junior high and they're mm. all like, "Ew, no, I would never go back. And huh. I, I don't think I would go back either. But um, I also think I was oblivious to most of the drama going on because I was just, you know, oh, all over the place. Um, yeah. And I remember we were going through some stuff, uh, like some of my junior high stuff, and my mom found something I wrote um, about, like, being at this lunch table that I was at. There was just, like, a mix of d all different kinds of people, and we call ourselves, like, the hybrids, the hybrids table. Uh -huh. um, so I just, just that, like, little sense of community that a bunch of different people with different interests could come together, you know, sit yeah. at lunch. And, I mean, that necessarily didn't really follow into high school but i just for that amount of time we were all able to you know chill together yeah <laughs> it's just interesting yeah i don't know maybe i should rethink middle school you I, should. I think i kind of uh, wrote it off and but. they're also like i hate it when teachers um talk to them like they're they're children and they yeah. are they are students but like they're smarter than you think oh yeah they're way smarter than you oh, think yeah. um yeah just today i saw a teacher kind of talking baby talk to a student and I was just like oh my gosh they're, they're 13 they yeah. you know they're aware of the world even now more aware than yeah. probably most of the teachers but probably I don't know you gotta gotta talk to them on a normal level <laughs> yeah yep well all good stuff but certainly teachers play a big role in shaping us I know they did me for certain so um, what I wanted to talk about on the rest of the show today was we're in the middle of this month of October, which is uh, a month that is especially in kind of Catholic devotional life, um, given over to praying the rosary. The Pure Campus ministers have been praying uh, the rosary mm -hmm. at some time every day during the yes. month of October, <laughs> and that's outstanding. We had kind of pitched this or thought, oh, maybe we could have the rosary a few more times during the month, and, and you all got <laughs> behind it and said, let's do it every day. Yeah. Okay, and figure every, it out. Everyone was like so in agreement. Like I don't, I don't think I saw anyone that was like, eh, you know. Yeah. And we got a volunteer for every day. So. That's awesome. So it's it's one of really two months of the year where we kind of think a little bit more about the person of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and so May being the other kind of typically Mary and month. So mm -hmm. I thought we could talk about Mary a little bit. Um, so I'll. I'll start. Maybe it'll give you some ideas. Okay, good. <laughs> um, but I know you were sharing a little bit at a meeting that we were at about, you know, watching some of the uh, the older ladies in your parish pray the rosary oh, growing yes. up and kind of that impression. So maybe we can get into that. Yes. But um, I'll admit, I didn't really grow up with that particular devotion. Uh, my family, certainly there were probably rosaries around our house. I think I had some inkling that my parents maybe prayed the rosary sometimes, but it wasn't like a strong devotion in our house it had faded from favor a little bit in kind of popular Catholic piety anyhow. I think some of my older siblings, like my sister Mary Jo, would remember the my family playing, praying the rosary together as a family, um, and that was kind of a more a, a piece of their regular spirituality. But by the time I was coming up, it was kind of um, not uh, in in vogue, I guess, or not that. Uh, <laughs> it's never gone away, but it was just not something that my family particularly emphasized. 
In fact, the first rosary that I can ever remember having was a rosary that I won at a parish carnival. Oh, and it score. was awesome because it was glow in the dark. So I had a glow in the dark <gasps> okay, rosary. That is legit. Yeah. So, but I never really, you know, I prayed it probably a little bit as a kid. And then it wasn't really until I came to seminary, which was here at the college seminary, that I started to pray the rosary with any frequency. And that was really more the influence of my fellow seminarians that were, so we would go down to the chapel, Christ the King Chapel, and pray the rosary on a certain night or whatever. And so that's really where I started to do that. And just in general, in, in, in terms of my relationship to Mary, um, I was kind of um, kind of standoffish at first or kind of keeping her at arm's length. And my rationale for that for many years was, well, I don't, I don't want to get too close to Mary because she might, you know, take me further away from Jesus. And mm-hmm. I'm like, so that was kind of my rationale. And then some, the, a, a switch got flipped for me somewhere in seminary, I think probably maybe beginning in college seminary, but maybe more in major seminary, where I realized, wait a second, Mary does not want to get in the way of my relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mary wants to facilitate my relationship yeah. with Jesus. Jesus. Mary wants to bring me closer to her son, right? And so once that kind of switch got flipped, then I realized, okay, I don't, I don't think I have anything to fear here and asking for her prayers and cultivating a devotion to her, praying the rosary, things like that. And so that, that helped me a lot. And also thinking about like, okay, let's look at Jesus's last words with his last breaths on the cross. And he's got, you know, he can barely breathe and he's moments from dying and he chooses to tell us, as we have in John's gospel at least, he's, he says to his mother, behold your son, indicating the beloved disciple who's kind of meant to represent the church, and then says to him, behold your mother, right? So he kind of entrusts his mother to us with his dying breaths. Yeah. Like, okay, I, I can go with that. <laughs> like, um, I, I feel safe in that. And so it kind of, it kind of built from there. Um, and actually, I haven't told too many people this, but so the... Um, the morning I was ordained, July 10th, 2004, I actually had completed just that morning um, uh, a devotion in the Catholic Church that's called a consecration. So I had completed the consecration to Mary through, or to Jesus through Mary, rather, to Jesus through Mary, according to this kind of plan that St. Louis de Montfort lays out. It's like a 33-day-long prayer thing, oh, kind of like a novena, like an extended novena, oh, okay. a novena yeah. being nine days of prayer for a particular thing, right? This is 33 days of preparation. You're reading certain, um, reading certain things and praying certain prayers, and so you do that for 33 days, and then on the, on the, on the last day, you make your prayer of consecration, kind of giving yourself in in a very kind of um, more intense way or a more intentional way, I should say, to Jesus through Mary. Um, And I did that on the morning of my ordination. So I wanted to, you know, make that a big part of my ordination. And and I've always kind of said, in a way, I I gave my my priesthood to Mary. I trusted that she would make me a better priest, that she would draw me closer to her son and and make me a priest more like him, right? So, so, yeah. Um, So I, I have... I have a thing for Mary. I love her. You know, she's my mom and uh, my other mom, among many others, but uh, she's my spiritual mother, certainly. And uh, so that's kind of my journey with Mary. So I don't know. Um, where are you at with that? Yeah, the rosary. Um, I remember like a small like memory of being at a CCD on Sunday and us all getting rosaries and I didn't really know like un- or fully I knew what it was I didn't fully understand the use of it um because who does at that age you yeah. know 
Um, it's a necklace. Right. So I put it on. I remember I put yeah. it on as a necklace. And then somebody told me to take it off and said I wasn't allowed to do that. And I said, okay, well, it's a necklace. And I'm also uh, eight. So <laughs> I just was like, what the heck? Okay. Um, so I took it off. But yeah, my first like real introduction to the rosary as like something people uh, did was um, coming into church. I would hear... Um, these older ladies up front leading the rosary. Um, I believe her name was Rita. So uh, <laughs> shout out to Rita. Um, uh, I believe she still uh, prays the rosary. But um, so I would come in and I was like, oh my gosh, what are they saying? And also like she wouldn't be um, looking at or reading at anything. And mm-hmm. I would always be like, oh my gosh, mom, how do they know the words? Like where, what is this? So, um, as I obviously grew up, I, I knew what the rosary was. So I would kind of, um, when we came to church, they'd be in the middle of it and I would kind of pray along. Um, but I've, I've used it. Um, I think it's a good way that I can get centered in prayer and focus. Mm -hmm. Um, because I have a hard time focusing during mass. Sometimes I just start thinking about things I have to do, especially here at school, things I have to do, um, what I'm doing after mass, what I'm eating, if it's in the morning, you know, um, all things that don't really need to be in my, mm-hmm. um, brain at the time. Um, but there's just something about praying the rosary. That's like, um, I don't know if it's the repetition or the, um, mm-hmm. yeah, but it's just really something I can, I can do and be with God and Mary in mm-hmm. that, in that, um, mm-hmm. in that time. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I think there's definitely something to the repetition, um, which, I mean, the downside of that is it can become kind of mindless repetition, yeah, right? right. You know? uh, but on the other hand, you know, we, there's, we pray other litanies or things like that in the church that have common refrains or we go back to a certain set of words or, you know, so I, there's certainly a, a tradition of that in other, in other areas of our kind of popular piety. But there's also, you know, you get, kind of get drawn into it through the repetition. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think, I think even just like, you know, f- the, the rosary beads themselves, because the rosary is really the prayer. The beads help you to pray the prayer. But even the kind of tactile kind of praying the beads and kind of moving your, your thumb along the beads, you know, we're, we're human beings. We, we, we pray with our bodies, you know. And mm-hmm. so even that, I think, uh, is kind of a consolation. Or people, even people that don't pray the rosary understand like, oh, worry beads or things like that or like a worry stone or something like that that, we need some, some sometimes like a physical yeah, connection to something that, that helps us. Um, and so I think that's another layer of it for yeah, sure. And it's like, I don't know if there's such thing as praying really hard, but like, I feel like I can do that mm-hmm. um, when I'm holding the rosary beads because I squeeze the bead. If I'm really <laughs> feeling like, oh, I really need to, I yeah. need to focus. I need to pray for this person. And it's a person that's going through a rough time or I'm going through a rough time. I feel like I have that connection through that um through the rosary beads it's kind of almost like our connection when we receive the eucharist mm-hmm. we have that physical yeah. thing in our hand um that we consume mm-hmm. so i, I think mm-hmm. both are just bridges um to christ and kind of bridges our relationship but that's why i like it yeah and i and of course the 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 content of it is less about the our fathers and the hail marys though that's important but really the mysteries and i'll admit my mind wanders in mass too and my mind wanders yeah absolutely so i'm a human being you always look so stoic up there i'm like i mean i have to concentrate on what i'm doing a little bit but yeah i i i'm still a human being and i get distracted and things like that and when i'm praying the rosary sometimes i'll 
I'll I'll get going on those beads and forget what mystery am I praying? Oh, mm-hmm. you know. So I I have to kind of recenter myself periodically as well. Um, an aid to that, one of my good priest friends, um, he has this rosary that's like this monstrous rosary with all these like. It looks like a looks like a giant charm bracelet because oh, it's wow. got all these extra little additions <laughs> to it. But those are little things he's added to it over the years that remind him of certain people or groups or situations or things like that that he wants to be sure to pray for. And so I have always admired that of his. So actually, I have I'm I'm very honored to be on his rosary. I'm one of his little things on his rosary yeah, when he gets to that when he gets this. to it's actually a buffalo head nickel on there actually. Oh. So when he gets to the buffalo head nickel, he prays for me. Like wow, that is the that's awesome. Thing. You know. I think it's a very cool thing. I'm very honored by it. So I asked him if I brought him some beads um, and some things to kind of add to it, would he, would he kind of, because he also likes to make rosaries, would he do that? And he did. And so I have the the rosary. I don't carry it in my pocket all the time because it's a little big and clanky, but the one I have at my apartment next to my chair where I do a lot of my praying, praying, um, that's the one that has some extra little things on it to remind me, okay, I'm going to pray this decade for this person or for this situation or for whatever so and i think that's so helpful because i have a hard time sometimes i'm like oh my gosh who am i praying for so then i do like a general prayer but i think it's really nice that he does that intentionally yeah um literally physically and the intention is on in the bead um yeah well i I think certain people have definitely uh, i would call it a charism of intercessory prayer you know that they have this special kind of both uh, they're drawn to and they're good at, you know, praying specifically for other people and their and their situations. And I think, above all, Mary is one of those. She's, you know, she's one who's kind of quiet in the Gospels, but I think is kind of constantly praying for um, her son, praying for his disciples, praying still from heaven for the church, you know, yeah. so. And I think sometimes it's easy to, like, only pray for things that you need. It's easy to get yeah. into that rhythm. Um, but I've been trying to do, uh, after uh, communion, when everyone, you know, is kneeling, um, I try and say as many glory bees as I can. <laughs> um, so, and I, I think of, like, a new group of people in my life. That's good. Each each one. So if you ever just see me like really concentrating, saying the glory bees. Um, and if but, I hear you like snap your fingers, yeah. that means like you were mid glory bee and I cut you off because I said, Let yeah, us pray. no, seriously. I'll like open one eye and like, look at you and I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> he he's going to stand up. And then I'm like fin- trying to finish I, one. I get one more in. I go, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but just like things like that with the, that just reminded me of that, just intentionally praying for other people instead yeah. of, you know, things that you want. And, you know, certainly a lot of, as a priest, a lot of people will ask for me to pray for them, which I'm honored by that kind of request, you know. And I I do, honestly, I try to pray for people like on the spot if I can or just right immediately after the interaction so that I don't forget to do it later. Mm-hmm. But I, I will I will confess, and a lot of times it's with the rosary or something like that, I'll, I'll make my intention for all of those who have asked for my prayers or for whom I have promised to pray. And then I'll yes. offer that yeah. because I'm, I know I'm going to miss one or two, but yeah. God knows and Mary knows. So um, <laughs> there you have it. So, yeah, it's a it's a cool month. October. I mean, I love the fall anyhow, but this this aspect of it from a kind of, you know, Catholic piety perspective of praying the rosary, remembering Mary during this month, I think is extra as makes it an extra special month always for me. So, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Wow, we, that's good Catholic stuff. Good Catholic stuff. Yeah, that's the new name of our show. Good Catholic stuff. Oh, I should point out too. So I, I mean, I have my rosary always in my pocket. I keep it. Okay, I'll describe it as 
the so it's, he's it's pulling out his rosary, rosary in a here. tiny little bag. You can hear it rattling maybe yeah, on the... Yeah, ASMR. Uh, yep. <laughs> so Catholic this ASMR. particular rosary, which is a pretty plain black rosary, but this was... Um, so I went to seminary in, in Rome, and at the time, Pope John Flex. Paul II was the, uh, the, the pope. And you could bring... So I was just about getting ready to be ordained a priest, and so I had my personal chalice at that time. You could bring your personal chalice to, um, <laughs> with a nice letter written to his personal <laughs> secretary, Archbishop Jivich. You could bring a nice uh, letter with your chalice saying, please, Holy Father, if you would use my chalice at some point for one of your daily masses, I would be most honored. And you would basically leave it with the Vatican police and hope that you got it <laughs> back someday. And you'd give your contact information, of course. And uh, so then they, they called me a few weeks later or something like that, said you can come pick up your chalice. And in the in the chalice box was a card saying, indeed, you know, Pope John Paul II celebrated uh, Mass cool. on such and such a date. Actually, it was a day in October. It's like October, some sometime in the month of October. Wow. Um, using this chalice belonging to uh, Thomas J. Hennon, da-da-da. And in there was a couple of a couple of rosaries, so I think I gave one to my parents, and I kept this one for myself. That is so cool. But um, I had another rosary very much like this, only white, uh, that had actually I had when I had had the opportunity to meet Pope John Paul II in person for about three seconds. <laughs> like that's the most you get to meet like a pope, just like a handshake, and yeah, he, yeah, he handed yeah. me a rosary. And you lost it. Yeah. I remember you telling me this, and I, I was, lost. It. I was depressed for you. I think I lost it in a taxi in Rome sometime. Oh. It probably slipped out of my pocket. Mm. I just pray someone found it that needed it. But when I brought my chalice to him to use, I got I got a rosary back. Don't so lose the works. chalice in a taxi. No, 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 no. It's no, a little no. harder to lose. No, yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah. So that's that's my that's my that's my regular that's her, in my pocket that's rosary. Father Tom's flexing on us. Oh, I was in Rome. Yeah, well, I, uh, I met the when Pope. I studied at the Vatican. <laughs> <laughs> I studied at the Vatican. Uh, <laughs> I, I always tell people it's a good seminary. My, I love my alma mater over there. It was great, North American College, and uh, I had a great experience. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, but there's good seminaries here in the States, too. Yeah. So and I was a vocation director for a lot of years for the diocese, and we sent seminarians to various seminaries, and they all have their advantages and disadvantages. And, and, uh, mm-hmm. and One advantage, meeting the Pope. Well, Another that was disadvantage, uh, a distinct advantage. Losing your stuff in a taxi. Yeah, that'd be another one. Yeah, yeah. That's a so. very, like, cinematic way to lose something, you know? I think here's the, here's my, may, maybe the next Hallmark movie. By the way, we got to work on oh, that. Oh, yes. The next Hallmark <laughs> movie, though, is, you know, the opening scene, Father Tom getting quickly out of a taxi quickly in Rome, <laughs> and his rosary slips into the, into the seat. And then the next, you. the next fair gets in and says, what's this thing in the, in the pew? And then it just like follows the rosary for the rest of the movie, right? And oh, wow. miraculous things happen. That would be cool. That would be cool. It's like the sisterhood of the traveling pants. You probably don't know what that is. I do vaguely know what that okay. is. I've never seen it. All right. Well, um, it's the same concept, but with pants. The it's brotherhood fine. of traveling rosary. Later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you about it uh, tonight at Mathmore. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Well, we've burned another half an hour on The Faith Awakens. As always, good to visit with you. Good to catch up. And I think we will have a guest next week. So uh, mm-hmm. I'll let that be a surprise for now. 30th episode. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. That is nuts. We have a special guest next week, too. It'll be good. It'll be good. All right. Well, Meg, bring us home. All right. May the faith be with you. And with your spirit. Take care. Have a good week. Thank you.